Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. Joining me, as usual, are two real academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Salah Mohammed Faisal El-Kahir Institute for the Study of Egypt here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're discussing a new publication of an older discovery from Egypt made at the Hyksos site of Tel el-Daba, or Avaris, in the eastern Nile Delta. Twelve hands in three pits just outside a palace and temple dating to the 15th dynasty, so around 1640 to 1530 BCE. Is this the Egyptian gold of honor ceremony where prisoners of war had their hands lopped off before or after death isn't quite clear for presentation to the pharaoh? The next question that comes to mind is, what the what? Is the king defeating his enemies and making it impossible for them to rebel again? Is this just performance art of an especially nasty sort? What is it with ritual mutilation in ancient Egypt and antiquity generally? And does our squeamishness prevent us from realizing exactly how pervasive brutality really was in the past? All I know is that recursive irony is at play here. Now one of us has to say something. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll be that person. All right. Um, okay, I'm trying to come up with a lightning round that is, you know, I had I had an idea, but I I don't want to be too too get into any kind of personal revealing areas here about you know <laughs> fears and whatnot. Favorite piece of Egyptian art? Oh, that's nice. Okay. Oh man! Yeah. All right. Um, oh. It's a hard one because there are so many. I know it's a hard one, and I don't know the names of any of them. There's so oh. many. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I know. Um, there's, um, well, Senwasret the Third in general, um, and any. He was good. Yeah, <laughs> any sculpture of him. Uh, there's his, one. In the oh, bed. I thought you were going to say his entire entire jewelry line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I want to explain because he. Well, no, explain. Yeah, yeah, he's less stylized than than they often are, and you can see all the wrinkles, and you can see he's having a really oh, yeah. hard time. He's yeah. really, you know, he's he's not a happy looking guy, and he just has the weight of Egypt on his. Heavy weighs the crown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, wow! Oh, well, you've you're that's a very nuanced and sophisticated answer. <laughs> I'm just going to go with. Um, uh you know the sort of um nakata three pallets mm. you know okay. we spent so much you know that spent a lot of time thinking about those obviously the narmer but there's others and then i and this is what i don't know there was a collar 
probably of probably tut, but it had lapis and carnelian beads. Mm. You know that one, it was one of those huge collars, and it was you know very heavy on the blues and the reds. Right. <laughs> and I always liked that because of the colors. Somebody wore that to the Met Gala, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there's so much. I like the Narmer palette. Yeah. Because it's just a cartoon. It that's what I tell my students. It's glipped, it's a graphic novel. And 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 that really it's the beginning or near the beginning of the whole tradition. The whole, which is just more sophisticated cartoons right. um, for forever after until the end of uh, the end of Egypt. You got the, the guy smacking the head of the other guy and you have the people running away yeah. and people in nets. on the backside, you have a bunch of headless corpses. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, lined up. Is that your segue? You tell me. <laughs> I think that's yes, awesome. it is the segue. It's it's a purposeful, it's mindful. Because if anything else, I try to be mindful. <laughs> as, as you both know. Very good. Um, but the Narmer is much earlier, 2000, nah, 1500, 1600 years earlier than the severed hands of Avaris. Which is our topic today. <laughs> That's why we've the uh what is it? The 12 severed hands, 11 males, one female question mark. Right. Do we want to do we want to say the name of the article and the, the yeah oh no, we could yeah wait let me find do you want to say it first osteological evidence of severed hands in ancient Egypt by Gresky et al. in the journal, well, Nature Scientific Reports. Okay. Um, so, you know, if if the listener if the listener has access to the internet, he or she could uh, go download this themselves and make and their own judgment. need to listen to us. No, shh, don't say that. No, everyone's ever. <laughs> every, we're, we're your spirit guides. That's right. Oh, very good. All right, um, so we have these severed hands. So, uh, who's going to give a little more context on this? Not, not me this time. Because oh, you're this, the best context giver. I, I might be, but I just can't deal oh, with this topic. I just but don't her know. squeamishness is legendary. Right, right. So, um, <laughs> twelve hands in a pit from the 15th dynasty courtyard, um, outside uh, of a throne room at of Avaris. Three pits. Three pits. Three pits. Three pits. Um, Dated so. to the 15th dynasty. So what's that? 15 something or another? No, Eight? no. Actually, the dates are a little different. It's the 17th century to the 16th century. 1640 to 1530. Right. But this this particular context is supposed to be late-ish, I think. Um. Okay, but it's second intermediate period. It's Hyksos period. So, so let's those of you who are lumping rather than splitting. Yeah, out there. Let's, let's contextualize the history. That part I can do. Oh, please <laughs> go ahead, Doctor Doctor Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> we'll have to come back to that in another episode. <laughs> so, so the Hyksos period in Egypt is when, for the only time until much later antiquity, the Egyptians were taken over uh, by outsiders. These rulers from foreign lands. We did one podcast about them. We talked did about we? Uh, Second Enray. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, which was one of our first great podcasts, I think. Um, <laughs> They're all great. They're all great. Um, so, so these Hyksos who come from Canaan, um, who have been sort of gradually coming into Egypt uh, for for economic reasons for a while. Uh, then, Hold it. did you just say freakonomic reasons or economic reasons? Economic, <laughs> economic. Because oh, the freakonomic people would probably be very interested in a lot of this Egyptian stuff. That's Maybe true. Probably. Yeah, that's that's true. That would we could of... have a meeting of the minds with them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if the price was right. Anyway, they came in and they they lived there for a while, and then they took over northern northern Egypt and. Um, ruled from a capital city up in the Eastern Nile Delta called Avaris. And we know this from textual sources, and we also know it um, since uh, the beginnings of the excavations of Avaris in the late 1960s by Manfred Bittak. And um, and so there's always interesting things coming out of Avaris archeologically. Um, the, these foreign rulers from Canaan, um, built palaces uh, built, or well, did build palaces, but built temples that were very much Canaanite in style, not not Egyptian in style. They had a type of pottery that was Canaanite in style, et cetera, et cetera. So we know a lot about who they are in their material culture. Also, and now, resplendent frescoes, wall frescoes of, yes. of Minoan derivation. Right, right, that's right. Where to only find in a few sites in Canaan and in and on Crete. And, and, and in Syria. And it, was a, it was an international age, an age of internationalism. Right. With artisans coming and going. Are we and... going to get back into globalization again? No, no. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's a secret. She said the secret void. Let's, <laughs> let's stick with hands. No, so, but my so... point is that even though the Hyksos got, get a very bad rap from the Egyptian tradition, mm-hmm. they're like... They're they're very unselfconsciously Egyptianizing and internationalizing, and everybody else seems to be getting along peachy with them, except for certain well, they, traditional Egyptians. Well, they took some of their territory, you know. Uh, right. Oh, that's right. The the hippopotamus was making noise. You got it exactly. No one likes having their land taken. Right. Right. I've always had a soft spot for the Hyksos because, you know, I began, I mean, that's a weird way of putting it, right? But I, (laughs) these horrible warriors, but, but, you know, my, my initial way back when research was on the Middle Bronze Age. So the Hyksos. But were they really warrior warriors? I was going to say, they, they were just like guys and gals. Coming down, a couple of lean years. Heading down, right? But they had been coming down to the Nile Delta and and the northern Egyptian areas for thousands of years. Right, exactly. It's not like they were not like they were strangers. Right, and the Egyptians they were they were a bunch of weak reeds at the beginning of the second millennium. Yeah, yeah. So somebody had to establish order. Okay, and that's what they did. And that's what they did. Right. all right, but let's let's get to our topic because we've been nattering on for a good long while here. In our second hour. 
Um, yeah. Okay. So then, so this, so this recent find of these severed hands uh, is from 2011. Yeah. I, I, okay. 2011. <laughs> semi-recent, recently published. <laughs> recently right? published. We um, only deal with what's in the publication world. That's, that's right. right. We don't. We don't invent this stuff. <laughs> we just. So that, would, that would might be make our jobs much easier. It would it's boost terrible. our ratings. Yeah. So, so that so this is the location. This Hyksos capital city is the location where these severed hands have been found. And because I'm so squeamish about this, could somebody else say where they came from? I think it was like the palace's forecourt. Is that okay, right? They were, okay. So these. So there's a dozen severed hands and possibly uh, a number of fingers. A minimum of twelve individuals, maximum of eighteen individuals, found in three separate little burial pits. And these burial pits are located in the forecourt of a temple that is built in the uh, uh, forecourt of a alongside of a wall of a temple and in the forecourt of a palace and maybe of the of the uh, Hyksos dynasty in the site of uh, Tel Aldaba or Avaris. And um, I guess one little extra contextual remark is. Um, Manfred Bittach and the Austrians have been excavating this site for a very long time. Right. And it's some, and you already sort of said this, Rachel, but this is a site that even though it's been excavated for a million years, it still produces really interesting stuff yeah. that yeah. constantly sort of changes the way we think about a number of things in the Middle Bronze Age and in Egypt and in the Southern Levant. And it you know, the BTOC team has done a really extraordinary job of remaining in a long-term project, but continually doing really interesting, innovative research that finds really dynamic stuff. And yeah. this, I think, is an incredible example of just that. So we have these three pits, um, all with severed right hands, 12, 11 of which are almost definitely male, one of which might be female. The other phalanges and little bits and pieces of finger bones are unclear. And it seems to be part of a process of uh, trophy taking right. in, uh, in a after a successful military conflict. And from that, from these cheaper by the dozen hands, we get a tremendous amount of possibilities. Right. And these, the, the thing that's unclear is whether these hands were living or dead no, when no, they no, were no. as the individuals, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> individuals. <laughs> and no, let's not, let's not animate body parts. <laughs> right. Like, um, it's like thing in the Adams family. There you go. Oh, right. you took my, oh, sorry. that was the big one thing. Sorry. Sorry. I couldn't help. No, no, don't be sorry. <laughs> um, but they no, were precisely severed, right. and that's they a direct were. quote. I, I need to right now argue for the um, post-mortem severing, which does seem more likely because I can't go on with this conversation if I think of them as... Ah, and that brings me to one of my major points. Okay. Which, and that's squeamishness and reluctance to acknowledge just the fabulous amount of intense and very personal violence <laughs> that characterize ancient Egypt and antiquity in general. Right. Okay. 
can I just clarify my squeamishness? I'm Please. fine. I'm fine with severed heads. <laughs> oh, much, much better. <laughs> not, not so much with severed limbs. Okay. Yeah, everybody loves that kind of stuff. Um, How do you feel about severed horse heads? Mm. Not as good, I guess. That's, a, that, that was, <laughs> that's just cruel. That would be a Godfather only, reference. I was about to say that's my only my only context is the Godfather. Um, right. Yeah. Um, so, but but so in any case, I do think that the evidence is largely pointing to postmortem severing because uh, first of all, it had to be done either before or after rigor mortis, right? And um, I'm I'm going. To Those are your choices. Your choices. Well, but the the uh, the authors very um, cleverly associate this practice, whether living or you know severing the hands of whether from living or dead prisoners, with the the gold of honor ceremony, yeah. which is one of these Egyptian ceremonies where you get a <laughs> you you chop off a prisoner's hand and you get a prize, kind of a thing, and. They're some being symbolically presented in some kind of degree of, shall we say, freshness. <laughs> and um, and that's all that's all well and good. But I have one I have one um query or bone bone to pick with this <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll I'll edit that part out. Um they say the authors that this is a Hyksos innovation, and they point to um, rows of hands and heads on Syrian contemporary and earlier Syrian cylinder seals as evidence that this practice was imported into Egypt, and and then they point out that it it really you know picks up a lot of steam in in the New Kingdom, especially the 18th. 19th dynasties. And I think that this deliberately or, you know, casually ignores the evidence like from the Narmer palette of, of the pervasiveness of ritual mutilation and sacrifice and murder um, that is really all over Egypt and punishment. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Uh, well, I, um, I That's think, just me. I think you're so I think that that point that you just made sort of works on two different axes. One is the very general issue of crime and punishment or or warfare and punishment and dismemberment, which cl has clear antecedents, uh, yeah. and which we've already talked about in Mesopotamia and the royal tombs of Oribit and um we know this is uh, as a as a near eastern and and uh it's Egyptian. a global thing right but it's also global because it happens in china it happens certainly in the in in uh, the new world okay. uh with aztec but then there's the separate issue which gets to the level of resolution and refinement that we're often now sort of dealing with in a lot of these kinds of specialized studies which is to say there's dismemberment and then there's this very specific form, in this case, of hands. Good. So you might be right, Alex. It has a long prehistory to it that is replicated or that is depicted in the Narmer Sarah elsewhere and elsewhere. But there we have Rachel's favorite form of dismemberment, the head. <laughs> right. <laughs> As opposed to the very specific 
and maybe nuanced uh, form of of hand dismemberment, which is what's represented here. And, and which so, hand is it? What? And which hand is it? It's the right hand, presumably the dominant hand. Right. Uh, so you're basically sort of, you know, taking away the ability of your enemies or mutilating their ability to fight. Yeah. yeah. Off their right hand. So I think it's two things just to be more concise that yes, there's a long tradition of dismemberment of military foes and all that that suggests, but that here we have a little different uh, sort of form of it or feature of it, which is the dismemberment of hands. And we know from later, and this is an interesting aspect of this whole study, we know from later uh, data, which you already mentioned, the New Kingdom uh, inscriptions and New Kingdom um, reliefs of the dismemberment of the hand. So I think that it, you're sort of, it's working at two levels. Yeah, yeah. And, and I also want to point out that there's maybe a third level that maybe one of the media outlets pointed this out, that um, they're... Um, they're, 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 the idea of Egyptians needing the body intact for the afterlife. So you're also mutilating the body so your enemies can't get into the afterlife as the Egyptians perceived it. Their, their bodies would not be complete. Right. Um, well, the, the authors make that point that this is a form of ritual mutilation that limits the, the utility of the person, the, the mutilated person as a slave in the afterlife. And it's a kind of example of the king you know, restoring or asserting his control of, you know, balance and bringing all these harmful forces under, under, uh, under his control. Mm -hmm. But, but other people have sort of used a hunting metaphor. Um, you know, I read something by um, Urosh Matic and uh, you know who who points to the long history of of ritual mutilation and the king is the hunter as a sort of root metaphor um and this these are just hunting trophies a part of the long series of hunting trophies that uh, you know sadly sort of continues today um where you know, and but but also, uh, you know, the history of torture and mutilation and execution of prisoners of war, in in particular, um, that that very much picks up speed in the second millennium, and and earlier and, and later, but which has antecedents, um, earlier antecedents, which is the best kind of antecedent, <laughs> um, and. Uh, you know, there, there are other texts that talk about uh, ritual mutilation of noses and ears and phalli, um, in particular, all the sort of sticky out parts. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, you know, Mesopotamian folks were no slouches, no slouches right. in this department either. I mean, wait till you get to the Neo-Assyrian period where you've got piles of heads and piles of hands. And yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I think the hunting, that kind of a interpretation is a little over theorized. I mean, I don't we don't, think... but we, we don't over theorize. <laughs> I mean, this seems Stick much more straightforward. Yeah. Uh, you know, to ascribe it to a military defeat and uh, sort of a, a, uh, a lasting commemoration or of dominance over your over your 
uh, defeated warriors and the removal of their main method of warfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody also points to a parallel with um, execration texts mm. uh, where you have, you know, a series of texts cursing the enemy rulers of, of the outside world. Then they're sort of figurines, which are then ritually smashed. So there's a lot of ritual smashing right. and mutilating and nasty, nasty behavior that went on with, with Egyptians and, uh, well, that was something that I actually wanted to mention, which is this idea of ceremonial uh, burial in public, not in public places. That's a whole. That's also a kind of a separate issue, but in um, temple and palace contexts. Right. How um, we know this very well from lots of examples in the Late Bronze Age and Iron Age too, of um, sites that will take large monumental sculpture and will, you know, mar that sculpture in some way. They'll remove, you know, they'll they'll cut it in half, they'll right. remove the heads, and then bury all of that stuff in the front entryway to temples and palaces. Uh, and certainly I, you know, at the site of Tyanat, we see that in, you know, the um in the sort of seventh, sixth centuries, you know, in a huge way. With giant basalt statuary being buried in front of uh, a temple, two temple areas, and adjacent to a um, pal palace. Right, and ritual killing of of right, and that artwork goes back a million years earlier. Even. Right, and the Aegean version of ritual killing of weapons. So it, this is all part of a you know of a big, consistent ceremonial process um found throughout the ancient world yeah it it points to one of my hobby horses uh -oh. um <laughs> <laughs> that there there is no such thing as art really uh in <laughs> in lots of ancient societies especially egypt that it's not art as an independent sort of category for yeah, something for aesthetic you know appreciation everything is magical Right. Well, that's you make the same argument about religion. That everything you talked about, like everything is religion. Right. Same yeah. same idea. It's sort of the same thing because it's a big holistic integrated system in which what? things aren't sort of parsed out. I try to be consistent about but some things. I suspect that's I suspect well, this is what I suspect. He has suspicions. <laughs> I suspect that if we were to get in the Wayback Machine and went back to these time periods, yeah, we would find that no, they do think of it as art, and they do have lots and lots of opinions about good art and bad art, and like, oh, can you believe this? You know, right. can you believe the shoddy, you know, um, reliefs at this temple, and you know, the shoddy wall paintings at this palace, and things like that versus. Right. So I, I think that you're right in one way. And I think that that way of thinking about how everything is fully integrated could easily be applied to today's world and today's society, in which you could make the argument that either there is no such thing as art because it's very much part of a commercial process, blah, 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 or everything is art, right? right. Because we're in this postmodern world where you can you know hang a, hang a nail clipper on the wall and say, that's art. 
Right. So I, I right. think the question is, is by saying it's there is no art, what's the point of saying that? Well, I think both ideas can live out together, right? Um, no, <laughs> there is only a singularity. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I think that's a very good point that, you know, certainly the, the, the idea of modern art is that incre is increasingly as a political statement. Right. Right. So socialization um, art, exactly. And some of it, you know, <laughs> the last time we were at the Met, well, I don't want to. <laughs> well, that's a, but that's a, but that's a, that has a lot to do with personal taste, <laughs> and point also personal political inclinations. So I think that it's impossible to make any kind of, <laughs> you know. Well, but the explicitness of it, um, whereas uh, let's say I don't know, you know. Uh, Earlier 20th century art, which, yes, was embedded within the capitalist system because artists have to eat and people like to have stuff on rich people like to have stuff on their walls. But, you know, abstract expressionism is not explicitly political or or religious. And. Um, well. Oh, how how oh, oh, this is getting us so far afield. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> how that's is what I do. That's why you pay me. Okay. <laughs> well, we better stop paying you. Let's just go back to the hands. <laughs> no, I just. I mean, all art is political. Yes. How can you escape that? Um, I, I think there. I, I think it's a question of explicitness. Um, I, I think resolution. that's not a, I mean, I think all art can certainly be seen as political, even if it wasn't intended as political. Right, because ultimately it doesn't really even matter what we think once the art gets out, right. It's the reception of the audience that counts. That's right. If the audience is going to politicize it. You have no control over it. And in today's world, it all gets politicized. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. And even 19th century portraiture now is, is this is the elites who are, exactly. you know, right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, well, let's, get, let's get back to the hands. I want to ask a question. Yes. So you, you're ritually um, removing and then burying these hands. Removing. Where did they bury the bodies? And that's a great question. And I think that the biggest answer to that question is it doesn't matter because that doesn't matter, right? right. They just get thrown out into. Well, they're, you're in the you're in the delta. Right mm -hmm. at at Tel El Daba, that's so you true. can't throw it out in the desert, right? I don't know. Maybe they would like you know, cart everything, cart everything up and take it to Sinai every couple of weeks. But yeah, <laughs> I think that that's important in that it's not important, right? That stuff doesn't matter. What's important are these severed right hands right. and the rest of the body is, is just, you know, out with the trash, out with right. the trash and it doesn't matter what happens to it. I mean, I'm probably, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, mass graves, which is probably the case, but you're right in the Delta, maybe nothing, nothing survived or else we're just not digging in the right places. To right. Go. Or it gets tossed into a canal and right. Well, goes out to sea. Yeah. But that might be a water know. supply for animals. I don't know. Whatever. No, I mean, uh, metaphorically, animals, right. <laughs> right. I, I think that's a really, it's a good question because I think ultimately the answer is it doesn't, matter the right. only these hands matter right 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 and is it, you know what there's a huge irony here right because so the bodies are gone but the symbol of strength the right hand remains for thousands exactly of 
Right. And well, I the irony, know. but that only emerges as, as an irony because these hands aren't supposed to have been recovered after being removed and buried. Right. But that's so we irony. ourselves are the source of the irony in a <laughs> reflexive kind of. Oh, no. <laughs> right. it, it, except as the article points out, one aspect of severing hands that is part of Egyptian tradition is the severing of hands from mummies in order from royal mummies in order to get the jewelry. So by tomb robbers. Right, by tomb robbers, yeah. Right. Yeah. So there is it's working in as both an indigenous practice <laughs> and the result of of uh, us. But, right. And that but that's the other irony that that the pharaohs themselves are having their hands removed. It's from. a recursive irony, really. <laughs> I, I mean I was actually thinking about this that this it, it's so clearly write that down. It's so clearly different to have recursive you know, irony. <laughs> Non-essays written in the imaginary career <laughs> of of a of an insurance agent. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. No, no, no. It's it's all fine. <laughs> um, I I was just gonna say that that um, it's so different to have the the you know we understand that the was it Seti the second or something whose hand was removed by tomb robbers probably to get the rings is such a completely different and unrelated thing that I felt it should have been a footnote, not even part of the article. A footnote? Why not? <laughs> Why not a hand note? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Essays in Recursive <laughs> Irony, a fetcher for Dr. Rachel Halloween. <laughs> oh, oh, my. <laughs> uh, perhaps it should have been a, a hand note. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it, it just struck me. So, but What I was thinking of, I wonder what kind of training these functionaries had to go into the very specialized area of, of you know, hand removal. Like... Hmm. Was you know was that who did that? Did priests do that? Did royal functionaries did that? That's did, really interesting, you know, actually. What kind of apprenticeship? You know, whoa, what what you know? What are you going into? Oh, I'm going into you know pulling brains out of noses. I'm going <laughs> right. into you know hand removal. Yeah. Right. I mean, there were there were surgeons of of a sort. So my son, the, the the brain puller outer. Yeah. No, they were definitely surgeons. It was you know. That's quite clear. It was very professionally done. Right. It was very, and I wonder, you know, were, is it, were these just like sort of everyday surgeons brought in for this task, or was it maybe the same people who did mummification who know about anatomy, although they don't cut things off in mummification, but no, uh, but they know about you know stuffing things in, so they know right. where all the points are. <laughs> right. They, right. They know where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> <laughs> Another good one. They had a great deal of familiarity with with bodies in. Yeah. In yeah. all sorts of states, yeah. but I guess I guess that's uh, you know you could say that about a lot of a lot of periods in antiquity when people had to confront these things, um, you know, and confront the uh, the the fruits of their society's violence by just gathering up all the pieces and stuff yeah. like that. Right. Um, I don't know. It's pretty violent. Pretty so which, uh, so, I also go ahead. No, you go ahead, Rich. No, I was going to change the subject. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I was. I wanted to come back to the whole gold of valor. Um, thing. Oh yeah. 
which um, Alex, I think you already introduced, but we we first see this um, in um, the text, I think, of Amos son of Abana, who is the the recorder of the major battle between the Hyksos and the native Egyptians coming coming back in and retaking their power. So so um, he mentions um, that uh, he where is it that he received gold in exchange for the right hands of Hyksos soldiers. Right. Um, gold beads, I think. Was, wasn't it gold, gold beads? Gold flies, I thought. Oh, okay. um, which was a whole other, you know, the whole fly thing. Um, but in any case, so so you're being rewarded for your kills, basically. You're showing evidence of your kills um, in addition to, you know, the right hand and the symbolism of it. The right hand is also evidence, and then you get paid. Um, so Right. It's a bounty system. Right. 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 So and I mean, that and that is uh, something sadly uh, familiar from contemporary the contemporary world as well. You know, right, Charlie, don't surf and right. years and, and, and even the National Football League to take the metaphor of war and put it in you know sports, which it's often closely linked. We see bounty systems at, in the NFL. Um, so yeah, well, not for killing people. Well, close to. I mean, as much damage as you can do to them. Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking more of you know, but it's metaphorical killing. Right. That's the point. I mean, That's just as, sports. Yeah, just as sports are meta is a metaphorical war. Yeah, right. And yeah. then you know, if you take that to the Aztec world, or the, you know, with the ball games, there it was both metaphorical <laughs> and literal. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Take it to North Korea. It's also again metaphorical and and literal, yeah. with sports teams disappearing after their failed attempts on the international stage. So, you know, sports and war are pretty, pretty right. closely aligned. Which is actually quite fascinating. Saddam Hussein's son, um, Uday, I think, was the head of the Olympic Committee who had the right. soccer yeah. team put to death after you know, an yeah. unfortunate loss, some, yeah. some match or something. Right, yeah. But, um, well, you know. You've done it again. The stakes are high. <laughs> the right. stakes couldn't be higher for for some people. Right. Um, um, so I want to I want to change topic now again. I have two two changed topics. I'll start with a more obtuse one that hopefully you can we can move on from very quickly. And that is once again going way 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 back to to Paleolithic cave painting, right? Hmm. Thirty thousand, forty thousand years ago. And the representation of the hand, right? And how you get hands on walls, right? Yep. Um, and of uh, Paleolithic caves, how you get hands on pots, right? In the Neolithic, right? All those, all that pottery from where is it, Chinu and places like that, um, Hajalar with uh, hands on it, and um, so the hand has a has a important. The hand really figures prominently. Yeah. In the sort of, I don't know what the ideological landscape of ancient people. And it's interesting. I don't, I'm not suggesting you can draw a direct line from all of those early, early examples, but there is this real value or importance to the hand yeah. that we see now in one of its sort of later iterations. Right, that's the it's sort of the positive, the positive depiction of of hands. Um, 
because you know where would you be without it so <laughs> i don't know i don't think hands are as interesting as toes as feet in some ways oh <laughs> i think that sounds more like a personal observation <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i'm thinking more like you know statues with feet oh. and polydactylism and right stuff like that but but your your point is well taken about <laughs> the hand is 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 definitely a consistent thread in representation in rep in, right in in antiquity oh. as a as a positive um element yeah yeah it's good to have <laughs> it's good to have again, you know man as tool user tool maker you know had and i read somewhere this homo morning. faber what homo faber no favor. Yes. I read somewhere this morning that somebody said that the hand is the greatest tool of all, but I don't remember who said that. Um, but I kind of mm. like it. Yeah. It was probably said by a lobster. <laughs> it <only> has claws. <laughs> Big meaty claws. <laughs> and and the other esoteric point I wanted to bring up before I forget about it is this whole thing about left and right-handedness that we get a little bit of snippets in the Hebrew Bible mm. and the tribe of Benjamin being oh, yes. sort of linked to left-handedness. And here we have right-handedness. And my only interest in that is, is, you know, right, dominant hand and how dominant hands get, you know, sort of become representations of these or become involved in these ceremonies and how the Hebrew Bible, for some reason, is very enigmatic, but sort of very clear about pointing out, hey, we've got a bunch of lefties here, right? You know, they rep three three lefties are mentioned in the Hebrew yeah. Bible, and they're all military people. So this whole left-right hand thing, and then, of course, you know, we, in our own society, we think about, you know, cognitive abilities of left-handed people versus right-handed people and just thinking about how that worked in antiquity right by the way aristotle said that the hand is the greatest tool of all <laughs> sorry <No. laughs> that sounds like you did some research i just looked something up um while you, that... my classmate david copperfield said the hand is quicker than the eye okay there you go right your classmate david copperfield right <laughs> And well, he, but that's, you know, the, the, the Latin word for left is sinister. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I want to, I want to give a shout out here to my high school Latin teacher. I don't remember her name. That's <laughs> one of the few things that actually stuck with me. Low these many, these many decades later. Um, yeah. Sinister and Dexter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dexter being a good name for, let's say a dog, but um, for instance, for instance, a sinister being a bad name for a dog. <laughs> well, a different, a very, very different type of dog. Right. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we found uh, a whole pit filled with left hands in it? Oh, <laughs> that'd be weird. That would be right. That so that wouldn't have been weird up until up until this find. It might have been weird because we have these later, you know, references and inscriptions, etc. But now that we have the tangible evidence, now that we can put our hands on this stuff. <laughs> To find a whole pit with left hands in it, man, that would be awesome. It would be, but how would we interpret that? Exactly. And, yeah. Right. It would open things up in a big way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it would no, it would really change the history of everything. What but what is the percentage of people worldwide with left hands smaller than right hands? Okay, you you Googleizers, you can find <laughs> out. 
<laughs> I'm not going to stoop to your level. I'm just, <laughs> just going to use my recall. <laughs> it's it's not it's not as large. Yeah, but you know, it it very much signified um, a sort of deviance. Right. Right. And you know, uh, to the point where certainly. In the 19th and 20th century, you know, North American teachers would, you know, beat their students into submission to change their handedness as if, uh, for as if that mattered. But um, right. uh, so these kinds of I don't know trends or prejudices or whatever uh, obviously go back uh, quite a ways. But certainly in the context of this ceremony, you're 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 lopping off the the weapon bearing hand um the predominant which is predominant and i suppose that you know one of these victims could have said no no i'm left-handed and <laughs> you know maybe that would have made a difference <clears throat> are you looking that up no i'm looking up something else <laughs> good uh, you guys we you know we started this whole the whole premise of this was to yeah, on the fly. Yeah, I know, but you got to look up some things because this is the age of Google. Right, it was more like Yankee scores <laughs> um, at the beginning of this process. But look at us—the things that we do for our listener. That's right. The depth of science that we delve into. I'll tell you what I was looking up. I was just looking up some Paleolithic uh, cave paintings with hands uh, to see if they were. Yeah. No, that, right that hands is a good left point. Hands. I, you know, if they're tracing, then I would think they'd be left hands that they're tracing. But they seem to be both based on my very cursory look. No, I, as I remember, uh, it's both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that and that raises an interesting question of whether the, dominance. you know, the dominance of one side versus another is something that emerged during the cognitive <laughs> revolution right. and uh, whether the bicameral mind... Remember that phrase? Bicameral mind. <laughs> we only had some bicameral legislative bodies. That would be nice. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah. Um, I think anthropologists probably know the answer to when this <laughs> emerged, but we're just merely. If we only knew some of those people. Right. Um, all right. Any final thoughts? Um. No, I just I'm looking forward to the next little interesting thing that comes out of uh, Tel Daba. Yeah, yeah, it's a very rich and interesting place. I I guess one final thought is, um, and again this is kind of Daba based, is that this palace is an extraordinary. It has an extraordinary life. I mean, it goes through a lot of architectural phases and changes. Um, it's long lived, lots of things happen, they modify it. And, um, and the Daba team has done an excellent job of, you know, really doing incredible stratigraphic work to find just how dynamic and living this architectural structure is. Yeah. And I think that that's a really, it's just an incredible, um, you know, study, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's a very good final thought, actually, because um, you gotta you gotta acknowledge good archaeology when it's yeah. there. Um, and if anyone from the Daba team is listening, if you want to invite me 
to the site to play table tennis, I will accept that challenge and I will take all comers, both <laughs> lefty and righty. <laughs> do you have your own racket? Paddle. Paddle. I do, but they're not nothing special. Mm. Nothing special. But when I get tendonitis in my right elbow, I play lefty. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Talk about the bicameral mind. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that movie that we, we watched one time, Wonder Man with Danny Kaye, and he's writing notes with both hands. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so sitting in the Brooklyn Public Library. Yeah. All right. Anyone else have any final thoughts? <laughs> My final thought is something that I always come back to, how incredibly violent all of these places were in all these periods like those like long periods where nothing happens and then all of a sudden they're chopping people's hands off and they're running them down and it would not make for a, a, a good movie and if you are into reincarnation boy you do not really want to come back as a oh but that opens up a whole new thing for me that i forgot to bring up oh well, what's that very quickly what's that in our second hour that there are only maximum 18 individuals represented. Uh, ah, yeah. So you think that that's. And, and that I thought that that was uh, an interesting number. It's not very restricted, right? It's not four hands. Right. Take the four hands of the four major chiefs of this defeated enemy, presumably right. let's say, you know, various and sundry potentates of the, of upper Egypt. It's not four, nor is it everybody nor is it a pile of 650 right. right hands of all of the defeated, the ranks, full ranks. It's a, it's a kind of a weird amount. I thought. What do you think? Do you, do you think it's like, okay, battle's over. They're all dead. Let's just take a whole bunch of representative hands and get out of here. I don't know. Is, is 18 a whole bunch? I, I don't know. A whole bunch. I don't know well, that, what's a whole bunch. That gets into the whole problem of, of the numbers racket in in Egypt in particular and in the ancient world as a whole, where exactly. vast, vast, vast numbers are claimed. And my you know rule of thumb is, so to speak, that you just knock off a couple of zeros to get to the number of defeated and captured or killed or taken or stolen or da da da. da right. And you're getting something, you know, a, a more reasonable approximation. Right. Uh, and um, and maybe this is, you know, maybe this is a, a manifestation of that. Maybe because, as we know, at least in some contexts, warfare was you send a company of soldiers, 20 guys, 50 guys, 100 guys, you besiege a town, you pillage it, and and you're done. It's not necessarily thousands, tens of thousands. That's an imperial right, level right. clash. Right. Maybe this is just a little rebellion that they put down and a couple of villages and right. that was well, enough. Right. Well, right. Exactly. I'm just, I just opened yeah. it up. I have no idea. Maybe it's a little rebellion. Maybe it was a small operation, but. Or maybe it was a big part. rebellion and they just took a, and they made exactly. an example of. Right. These. And I always come back to thinking about the Amarna letters because there you have these whiny, you know, mayors asking for like six archers. Right, and that's it's like, true. Really? That's all you need? Six archers? You, right. you know, that's all you're asking the Egyptian king for? So, right, the whole, exactly what you said, Alex, the whole number thing in the ancient Near East is really, is really curious and enigmatic and very interesting. 
And I think this is just another piece of that. Why, you know, why, why this amount, neither very small nor really huge. And I need to revise what I said initially, JP, in response, um, because it's a really interesting thing that, so, so where are they doing this? They're not, I mean, I, I, they're not really doing it on the battlefield because we have surgical precision in, in removing. So are they carting the bodies somewhere first, waiting for rigor mortis to pass and then cutting them off? And they're not doing it with all the bodies or are they? And then you're back to the numbers issue. Exactly, right. There's a whole process behind this because it's ceremonial and because there are professionals involved and because there's a very specific number selected for dismemberment. Right, right. But at the same time, we know that here and there, in the in the ancient world and the ancient Near East and and certainly outside of the ancient Near East, you do have mass murder, and um, so there that the, the mass grave at Lachish from the end of uh, the Iron Two period. There's like a thousand murdered murder victims in there, put down by the Assyrians, and so on. And certainly when you get to the New World, you're talking enormous numbers right. and uh that's industrial right that's a, right the aztec are, are are functioning at a whole industrial level um so so maybe this is you know putting numbers in context and we don't really know how to do that good point <laughs> especially the three of us <laughs> right <laughs> We're exactly the wrong people to ask about I think, that. I think mathematics, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think <laughs> mathematics is, at least for myself, is one of my, my weaker skills. I yeah. don't think any of us were math. They told me in high school not to take any more math. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all we went make a plea. there was a math yeah. requirement. <laughs> That's why I end up in my 60s doing a podcast. <laughs> so, all right. could have been a contender. <laughs> I think we've said it all. Final, final, final thoughts. I have no more final thoughts. Yeah, Got a hand. My, this was a great time. My hands in my pockets. Keep yes. you safe. Be yeah. a hand model, like George. Well, right. of course, and that right, and there, of course, the article discusses how one of these could have been a woman, or it could have been a whole group of women with man hands. Another <laughs> phenomenon staked out by Seinfeld. <laughs> Remember when, when Seinfeld went out with the woman with man hands? Of course I remember. <laughs> Classic episode. What one isn't? Man I'm gonna write down man hands. <laughs> this is a topic that keeps on going. We can't even stop ourselves. <laughs> we can't we just can't stop. We try <laughs> to stop twice. Right. As we go into our third hour. No, no, no. We must stop. We, we must, must stop. We must probably a good idea. Shall we stop? Yeah, yes. we should probably stop. Well, this episode has me sitting very quietly on my hands. So as always, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. Look for his performances in the Chicago area and follow him on Instagram at at 54BPM. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Dumont Television Network, a division of Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems. Be sure to watch Our Secret Weapon, The Truth, Fridays at 9. So to get in touch, leave us a comment. Hit the little heart-shaped button. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at @thisancient and on Facebook. Contact us via electronic mail at This Week in the Ancient Near East, it's all one word, at gmail.com. 
or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.